Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. I always uh, feel as if I need to delineate how a certain word came, um, not, not so that you can think, oh, how spiritual we are. That's not the point. I, I say, I'm going to say what I'm going to say just to clarify that God wants to speak to all of us as saints in various ways. And um, I, I know that he is doing that, and I know that, um, that he will continue to do that. But um, yesterday, after our prayer time, and after I got back home, um, I studied for, for quite a bit um, about a number of different things that the Spirit is saying, and for, for us... You know, I, I don't, I've, I, God has given us so many responsibilities that I just don't, I don't just specifically come and say, okay, what do you want, Father, for this service? It's just like he just starts speaking, and you, you listen to what all he's saying, and then when it comes time to whatever outlet of, of um, responsibility for teaching or preaching comes, you, you just draw forth and do it, so... I studied for quite a while yesterday afternoon, and then I felt the Lord say, you know, okay, that's, that's it for now. And I had no clue as to what, what he was going to have us study this morning. Um, but in the middle of the night, I, I woke up, I think it was about 3 o'clock, and I was hearing a voice say, redeeming the time. And then I prayed for a little bit and went back to sleep, which is always a refreshing thing to be able to do. And then at five, I woke up and was hearing audibly that same, that same word. And it wasn't Debbie saying it or Katie yelling from upstairs. Um, and so I knew that's what the Lord wanted us to share today. And so I made some coffee and went up to the happy place. And um, I knew that I knew we've looked at these passages before, but twice in the New Testament, in Ephesians and in Colossians, this phrase is used, redeeming the time. And so we're going to look at those today, and we're going to talk specifically about how we're to redeem the time. Um, because, you know, time there is kairos, and we've studied about what the Kairos moment is. Uh, we've studied about how that the new wine or what God is doing right now is a, is a Kainos moment, but a Kairos time is something that in God's framework, um, it's what's happening at this moment, and it's a, it's a Kairos time. And But how do you redeem that? And, and really, what what in the world... You know, you think about this word from which redeeming the time comes, and it's used by the Bible to talk about us being redeemed, us being brought back to the Father through, through Christ. And I thought, that, that's just really a weird connection, because we're redeemed. You, know, you have to think about what happens when we come to the Lord. The first thing that we have to do is we have to be forgiven of our sins, and that only comes through the blood of Jesus. The, the miracle of our being saved starts and is empowered throughout by that. And secondly, then, we are, we are redeemed. We're brought back to the Father from out of something to the Father. And in that, we are born again. That spirit of God within us is quickened so that we become on the pathway toward what he put us on this earth to do, what his spirit has been invested in us to do. And so those three things happen when somebody is seriously coming to the Lord to receive why he came to this earth, to give himself uh, at Calvary, 
why, why he came. You know, we, we are forgiven of our sins through the precious blood, and we are born again, and we are redeemed to the Father. Those three things. It's all the same event, but each one of those has specific meaning. And, and we, for us to truly be Christian, we have to recognize those three sacrificial gifts from God to us. You know, we, we are washed. Our sins which were scarlet are made as white as snow, only through the blood of Christ. And then we, uh, we are redeemed to the Father, only through Christ. We are born again only through this wonderful work that began at the foundation of the world where God knew us then. Those three things have to be happening. And I feel sorry, I really do, for those who scripturally don't have that understanding and who are not walking in this. We kind of euphemistically lump all three of those things together. And even in, you know, the old gospel songs, you know, you just taught you, I'm born, I'm born again, as so often they sing, which always cracked me up, born again. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm saved, uh, or I'm, I'm, uh, I'm redeemed. Uh, and, and we don't, uh, in the past, really think about what those things, we just all lump them together with walking down the aisle or asking the Lord to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness and make us your child, which is excellent, it's wonderful, but we have to understand those things. But redeemed, the same word is used to describe what we're to do in the kairos. So what does that mean for you and for me? And this is really a strange season that we're living in. I don't need to tell you that, do I? It's toward the end of time. The prophets of the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, you know, Jesus said this to his disciples, but how much more is he reiterating to us now? The things that are happening, that are fulfilling Scripture now, the prophets have all looked toward, and we have the privilege of being here to serve the Lord in the midst of this. So what does it mean to redeem the kairos? So let's look at these two passages and see what the Spirit says. First to Ephesus and second to Colossian. Now, again, before we do, remember last week we talked about the seven churches of Asia. You're going to hear more of that at the seminar for a couple of sessions. And I think that the Spirit is firming up a greater understanding of why Jesus took that first part of that last book in the New Testament to speak about those seven factors. But Ephesians speaks about Ephesus, which was the, which was the, um, the city that was known for idols and known for uh, fetishes and known for lots of different implements that archaeologists dig up today. They were the ones who... They were kind of like the Amazon Prime of uh, demon worship, you know. If it, throughout that whole Mediterranean world, most of the most of the relics and most of the things that people used to worship enemy, the enemy and demonic forces in their own personal life came out of Ephesus, and, and the phrase was, you know. Well, if somebody saw a, an article that was dedicated to one of these gods, they would say, well, that's Ephesian. And that was the highest compliment they could give uh, regarding a, a relic of some sort. Now, Colossia was, was not mentioned in, in the seven churches, but it was on the other end of Laodicea. And it was, it was really a speaking of if, if, if eight is a new beginning, this was to be a new beginning. So Paul speaks to the Ephesians and the Colossians under the anointing of the Spirit, both of them repeating this same phrase, redeem the time. And, and so we'll talk about that. Let's, let's read Ephesians 5 first, beginning at verse 14. Wherefore he says, awake thou that sleepest, Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. 
See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be you not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and pneumaticos songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, there are several aspects that are listed here that speak about how we are to redeem the kairos. The first is that you're supposed to walk in wisdom and that you're supposed to walk circumspectly. But as you walk circumspectly, looking all around, you walk in wisdom. So you're being guided by wisdom. I, I was uh, yesterday, some of you have noticed that I got my hair cut. And I went to see my friend, Keith, who has been, was Herb De La Teja's barber, and that's how I got to know him. So for all these years, I've been going to see uh, Keith. And um, we were sitting there, I was sitting there, and he was just getting, we were just two guys talking, and into the room comes this lady, and Keith goes over and hugs her, and he introduces her to me and says, We've known each other since grade school. We went to, we were in third grade together. We've known each other since grade school. So this lady starts talking, real sweet woman. And she, uh, she was basically telling her life story. And apparently her family was one of the original settlers in Texas and uh, that they had been, uh, they had raised horses and, she had led the, the rodeos around here, and, and um, you know, they did a lot of work with the King Ranch, and she talked about things that they'd experienced, and she's just talking, and, you know, and I find this fascinating. You know, she was talking about when she'd go to school, she'd ride one of their horses to school, and um, sometimes she'd skip out of the class and go riding, and, you know, it, it, she did, no, parents didn't worry about her. You know, they just knew that's what she was doing, and... And um, she was talking about how things have changed nowadays and, and that, um, you know, all those kids would just be out playing until it came to darkness and then the, their parents would all come out and give the shout from the parent, whichever the, her dad gave a whistle and she knew I'd better get in no matter what I've been doing. And, and uh, we were all talking about how those days are gone, you know, how that kids could just go out. I remember... Um, I walked to school, as many of you did, and from six years old, you know, uh, and I would just go and get into all kinds of craziness as I was walking to school, And but I knew I had to be there on time, and I knew I had to get back home, but all the little nooks and crannies I'd go into and the different stores I'd go into and get comic books and different things, we'd never do that today. Just, 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 you know, we drop our kids off at school. We pick them up from school. We keep an eye on them. You know, where are you going? And, and I'm not faulting that. But to walk circumspectly was something that, that we were just trained to do. And that's kind of missing in society now, you know. You're, you, people fear for their lives. And, and so they don't want their kids to get kidnapped or abused. And, and I understand that. But... To, to be able to just go out and to learn from a young age by, you know, don't do this. You know, mom said don't, dad said, no, I better not do that or I'm going to get in trouble and this could get me hurt. And well, I think I can press it to this angle. You know, those experiments we learned. But Paul speaks to walk circumspectly and that's the kind of thing he's talking about. You know, and you, but we walk in wisdom, not man's wisdom but the wisdom of God. And remember when we studied about wisdom early on when we were looking at the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and we understood that in the Old Testament, wisdom primarily meant that you were partnering with God in going 
by his direction into a place that had formerly been ruled by darkness, and you established light there. And you linked it with the fear of the Lord, and you linked it with the knowledge of God. And, and you know, I don't want to go into a battle if God hasn't directed me. I have enough fear for his, for his perfect plan to not do that. But wisdom was linked with that. So if you are walking circumspectly in wisdom, not as fools, there it's moros, which we know is to cut yourself off from the mysterion of God, that ongoing revelation. So here's Paul saying, walk with wisdom, not as fools. Walk circumspectly, redeeming the kairos. I think that's so interesting. We'll talk a little bit more about redeeming the kairos. But immediately following, he says, um, he says, wherefore be not unwise, but understand what the will is of the Lord is. This is interesting because unwise here is to be without friend, P-H-R-E-N, which we've studied a lot of. Don't, don't go off without having been directed by the Spirit of God. Um, understand what the will of God is. And it's interesting, too, if you study that word, ah, friend, you'll see that it's regularly translated as fools in the New Testament or foolish. And the two main words in the New Testament that describes being fools are, number one, we talked about it a minute ago, Paul uses both of them right here, not staying in contact with the mysteries of God, and secondly, not giving that spirit within to commune with God, to be empowered by his affections, and to be being trained by the spirit in understanding. This is a mouthful here, and it sandwiches this idea of redeem the kairos. Do you see that? Now, today, we're, we're going through times, and we see darkness around us. We see um, lots of things that make no sense at all. <laughs> you know, I, yesterday, I was studying something, and, and um, I... I took a break and I looked at what the BBC was putting out, and they had they had an an, an article about uh, these parents that uh, were in a particular school district, and these parents were meeting, and somebody made a proposal that everybody on the school board agreed to, and they said. We're going to make it illegal for transgender athletes to compete in girls' sports. And everybody in the place stood up and was applauding and yelling. And I thought, what a world we're in. Fifty years ago, if I was in a board meeting of a school, nobody would even think of saying, you know, we're going to protect girls' sports, and we're not going to be some six-foot-three guy who says he's now a woman set all the scholastic records for girls' sports. You wouldn't even think of saying that, but it was so revolutionary that they had come to this great understanding, and they took the bold step to say, this is not happening here, and all the parents stood up, yay! I thought, what a world are we in that this provokes such a celebration? You know, what are they going to vote on next, that roosters can't lay eggs? I don't know. Yay! I don't mean to get political on you, but we're in a weird world. We're in a very, very strange world. And that's just one, that's just one example. I don't need to give more of them. You know them. You could volunteer five or six of them just like that. The Kairos moment that God has us in is one of the most strategic of all time. And we we are encouraged by the Word of God, by what Paul says. You make sure, and we read these verses that followed, you make sure that you don't perceive this Kairos moment only through the ridiculousness of it, 
Make sure that you don't view it only through the darkness and the disgust that you might feel. Make sure that you don't view it only through anger. You check those things, and you, instead of murmuring or damning it, what do you do? Speak to yourselves in psalms. What has God revealed to you? Speak to yourself in hymns. What songs in your koine has God given that during that time of, of singing and rejoicing was birthed in your house? Sing that. What, what kind of spiritual, what kind of things has God revealed of the deep things that just before you, in him, you have generated these songs? And sing those and make melody, create melody in your heart. Because see, when you are in a kairos moment of this, the kind that we're in, you're either going to go the route of the dark perception, which is all around us, and express bitterness, which is being said all over the place. Or, or you're going to speak light and truth. You know, I, sometimes it's easy for us to talk about the children of Israel when they were wandering through the wilderness and they were destroyed or destroyed because of their murmuring. And remember when we studied about murmuring, it's the same word as meditation. You're either going to meditate in the things of the Lord or you're going to speak things that may be accurate in the natural but are against what God is really doing. And we can police only ourselves in this. I don't want to be destroyed in this moment, do you? And, and again, I'm not hitting this just from a theoretical standpoint. This is a battle that I face every day. I'm just being very candid with you here. I mean, I don't know how many times a day I will hear so strongly, why don't you just quit? Why don't you just stop? What, what good is it that you're doing? Have any of you, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but I'm sure that same tactic has come to many of you. And, you know, you, you read this, even though it doesn't say it exactly that way, in some of the books, and I'm sorry, Mark, I know you don't like it when they call them minor prophets. I don't either. But that's the, the place, either in Micah or Hosea. Or, and, and you see God saying to his people, why are you saying this? Why, why are you saying this? Even to Elijah. What doest thou here, Elijah? Well, you know, I'm just not accomplishing anything. You know, I'm not any better off than my forefathers, you know. And, and I just feel like I'm all alone. You know, nobody else is around doing this. It's that same factor. It's that same factor. So at any pinnacle point in the spirit, if it, at any pinnacle point of a kairos moment, that atmosphere is going to be prevalent, and you see it, here. Paul doesn't say, well, you know what? It's a bad atmosphere out there. So I tell you what, instead of murmuring, why don't you sing? He doesn't say it, but that's what he's addressing. And we know this in our own lives. And I'm telling you, I, I battle this almost every day. You know, two days ago, I was here in the sanctuary praying and um, <clears throat> I was getting ready to go into the booth, and I was up in the balcony, and I was speaking to the Lord, and his presence was here. And all of a sudden, it's just... <sighs> it was before Wednesday night when I was speaking about the connection between spiritual revelation from God and um, the, the, the atmosphere of the enemy that would come against it. You either have the atmosphere of the Lord... When a divine when a depth a bathos of revelation comes, or you have uh, a, an atmosphere that's not good, and we looked at that in the scripture, and it, it really is, it it is a dynamic principle that we have to grasp because it's what the word says. You see it everywhere. I mean, look at Moses when he comes and he goes up to the mountain, and we've seen this in the movie. Charleston Heston played it. Well, what was going on, right? There was God. The fire of the Lord is there. God's fingers writing on these tablets. Don't do this. Don't do this. Do this. And right there, you've got numbskulls building a golden calf. 
and dancing around, as we'd say in Texas, naked. And you think, okay, God's presence is here. I mean, this is a, this is a hallmark moment. And yet this stuff's going on. You know, at the Last Supper, the Lord's table, you got Jesus talking to them, you know, and you got Satan there at the table. I mean, and, 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 and right then when Judas put his hand in the bowl and the Bible says Satan entered into him right there. You can't erase that, no matter what kind of fancy eraser you bought at, at Staples. You can't erase that out of the Scripture. It's there. So we are in a Kairos moment. There's a lot of other things in the Kairos moment, too. So we have to walk circumspectly. We have to walk according to wisdom. We have to stay in commune with God. We have to resist the, the opportunity, and it is a prevalent opportunity, to gripe and to complain and to, to speak words of murmuring, and they take many forms. And instead, we have to stay in contact with God and redeem the kairos. Now, redeem is a very interesting concept because in it you have the word agora, and it would, would speak about somebody that is going through the marketplace. And they are, there are several factors that could be addressed with this redeeming. Number one, they could be looking for something that has been lost or misplaced that they can bring back. And they can, you know, and there's a lot of things like that. People go uh, to searching on estate sales every weekend, and they're looking for something that somebody has overlooked, and they grab it. And they say, okay, look at this. This is valuable. Do you even know what you have here? Another factor that could be with this is there's something that's needed. And you're looking for it there in the marketplace. And, ah, there it is. And you, you grab it. You know, both of those factors are what God looks for when he redeems you. Number one, he gave you something that he desperately wants and needs. You may not recognize that. The enemy doesn't want you to recognize that, but you are valuable to God. The second factor is you have a work to do. You may not be doing You may be standing idly in your hysteme, as that parable of Jesus said. And at the 11th hour and in the hours prior to that, he comes out and he finds those who are not functioning in their hysteme, and he says, come on, <clears throat> I need you in here. So if we're going to redeem the time, we need to recognize that in this time frame, there's something that God wants to have happen, and there's something that in the midst of all of the craziness that the enemy's trying to say and all of the craziness that people are doing and not doing, there's something that God wants to do that is a pearl of great price, and we as intercessors need to submit to the wisdom of God and the commune of God to find that thing and to lay claim to it and said, this will not be devoted to the enemy. This is something that God wants. And somebody who would be shopping in the Agora, would, if they're really keen in their viewpoints, they're looking for specific things. They're not just buying everything. You know, I remember when we've, we had big youth groups here. I remember we were blessed when I was a youth pastor to have a really good-sized youth group. And then, of course, Dan Hunter and Rachel, they came, and they had a great youth group. But both Dan and me had issues when we would take our kids on trips because we gave them allotted some spending money. And um, I know that some of you had kids in Dan's group, and... One of the things that Dan and I laughed about is that you had to keep an eye on particularly the boys because the first place they'd go, they'd spend just about all their money on some wacky thing. And then they'd have to talk, how are you going to eat the rest of this week? You know, you don't have any money, but you have this goofy thing that you'll lose in about a week. You know, so it's not like you just go in and you start grabbing everything in the Kairos moment. You're selective. You have a keen eye because you're operating in the wisdom of the Lord as an intercessor. What is God saying here that's not being seen? What measure of light is the darkness trying to occlude? How is God wanting to move? 
What, what is God wanting to redeem to himself and redeem in this moment? And if you look at the miracles in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament, this same principle is there all the time. Before a miracle, how many times have we said, it looks like everything is screwed up royally. It looks like they, the people are just about dead. Darkness is all around. But yet in the middle of that, God redeems. In the middle of that, God touches his people, or he touches the moment, and it's turned. You see, we're functioning in the way our Father functions, or wants us to function, um, in redeeming the kairos. And it's so easy to say, man, this is bad. Um, a couple of days ago, I was listening to an interview by a uh, a Christian man who was a very well-known intellectual in England, and he was talking about society. And he was saying that the think tank that he is in, now I'm not saying this is going to happen, but the think tank that he is in says that if things in democracies go on as they're going without any break walls, without any fail-safes, that in five years, the system that we all know is gone. <laughs> it shocked me. And he started telling the reasons why. It shocked me. And, you know, Elon Musk said something yesterday. He says a lot of things, but Elon Musk said something yesterday similarly. And I don't believe that that's what God is wanting. I think the enemy's trying to press the time. He's trying to change the times according to what Daniel says. And um, I think part of that is to shorten the time that God has dedicated for the harvest. And so what do we as Christians do? Do we just say, ah, that'll never happen? Or do we stand as the ecclesia of God in this, you know, God searches for an intercessor? Or are we going to say, I'm here to redeem this Kairos moment? And I'm going to say, not so, Satan. You will not hasten the time. This is going to be God's fullness in his harvest, what he has ordained, we are partnering with God so that the fabric and the framework of what God needs to have in place for his divine movement to come, that that be. That is redeeming the kairos. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, too. You know, I was talking about this, this really nice Christian lady who was talking to us yesterday. Um, the Spirit of the Lord just entered that room and she talked for about 10 minutes. He's cutting my hair, and I'm just sitting there and listening. And all of a sudden, she starts crying. And she said, I don't know what's come over me. And she starts telling things that happened to her when she was six years old and eight years old. She said, I have never told anybody this in my life. And she said, I don't know why I'm saying it now. And, and now I'm there, and Keith's got sharp instruments to my head, so I'm being really careful because sometimes he gets carried away, and I don't want to lose an ear. I don't want to be like Malchus in the garden with Jesus. You know, Jesus could still stick it on there, but I don't want to run any risk. So Keith says, well, I know why it's happened. It's because this, is a, this brother here is a pastor, and he and I are brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord has come on you. And so we just started praying for her, and it was just a wonderful time. Do you know those moments are happening in your life? People are being touched, and you, cannot, you can't make that happen. You can't say, okay, you know, brother, you're in for it now. Here you come. I'm going to get you. Let the Spirit bring that Kairos moment in this time of Kairos moment and see what God will do. You cannot force it to happen. You can't force a Kairos moment. You can screw up a Kairos moment. How many should have said it? Somebody should have said Amen. But, you know, the point, though, is that God wants us to redeem the time. That can be people. That can be scenarios. But for intercessors at large before the throne, that is saying, Father, what is it that is imperative for you at this moment? We're going to pray. We're not going to just sit around and wait till this pandemic mandate is gone so that we can do some things. We're going to work for the night is coming. We're preparing. We want to redeem the time. Because, boy, there's a lot of evil out there. We're not going to murmur instead, and there's a lot of things we could set them straight on, 
but we're going to devote ourselves to psalms, hymns, pneumaticos, odes, and, and we're going to make melody. How do you do that in the darkness? I mean, really, you've got to make yourself do this. You've got to partner with God, because I'm going to tell you, it's not like it's easy to make melody when you got some killer musicians playing and everybody's swooning and they're singing, you know. But when you are there before the Lord and you don't have anybody else around and, and you're sensing, man, these atmospheres that are coming against are just wicked. I sympathize with Elijah. I sympathize with Moses. And maybe you should too. It's easy to look at those mighty men and say, boy, you guys sure messed up. How could you do that? God is there. Twice he gives you the opportunity, and you still say the same song and dance of murmuring. It's easy for us to, to look back and say, you, know, you should have done a better job, buddy. But these are spiritual factors today that we're facing because it's the same enemy. So we have to control that aspect and go the other way to be proactive to be creative in the spirit. There's power in that. There's power in that. You, you even look at, you can see these factors everywhere. There is King Saul. He is not functioning in supplication. And I have a great admiration for him. I think we malign him too much. He was the first king. And boy, you can imagine the spiritual pressures that were coming against him. Uh, now, he made mistakes, yes. He did things he shouldn't have done. But boy, until you walk in his sandals, you better be really careful. So he's, he's not overcoming in the way he should. And that influence starts coming. That influence starts coming. And it's interesting that this word, this afren word, it, the Septuagint used that. The, the Old Testament translation by the Hebrew 70 scholars who wrote the, New, the Old Testament in Greek used that word to describe that spirit that came against Saul. I think that's very interesting. So, and, and so what, what overcame that thing? Well, David, the golden boy, comes in. I don't know whether he's playing his sack butt or his lyre. I don't know what. Maybe he, had, maybe he was a one-man band. Maybe he had them both going on. But the point is, he starts singing to the Lord, making melody before the Lord, and this thing goes away. It's the same factor today. And that's what we, as pneumaticos ecclesia people, as saints, need to recognize this is the, folks, this is real time for us. We are in a Kairos moment, one of the greatest Kairos moments of all time. And we have to represent our Father and redeem those things that the spirit of wisdom would say, latch on to this thing, pray. Latch on to this thing. Don't let go. And we have to be in contact, continual contact with God, uh, not to, to let the phroneo minister and not let, not let that dry up, because if we do, we won't understand. See, this is all what Paul is saying right here to the Ephesian church, which was the headquarters of demonic worship. Isn't that amazing? If, if there was one church, we don't have a letter to the Pergamons. You know, we talked about that where the seat of Satan is. But we have this letter to the Ephesians. If there was one place that could say, you know what, I'm surrounded by darkness. <laughs> I go down to the store, I go down to Whole Foods of uh, Ephesus, and I have to pass by 15 silversmiths making idols to the, all the demons that are around here. And you should see the people that are going into those shops buying that stuff. You know, I wouldn't want to be, I wouldn't want my kid marrying one of them. And, you know, if there was one place that knew, act demonic worship it was this church we know it today even though people aren't making little idols or amulets it's all around us anyway so these factors are there in redeeming the time let's look at Colossians 4 you wonder whether we'd ever get there well here we come the other instance of redeeming the time Colossians 4 verses 5 and 6 walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, 
seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Here again, redeeming the time, leading into that directive of redeeming the kairos, you have an admonition to walk in wisdom. And at the other end of this command, you have an admonition to watch what you say. <laughs> Let your speech always be that of grace, or what is God wanting to birth? What is God wanting to do? How does my supplication partner with the Spirit of grace to see something birth that God wants? And season it with salt. Let it, let it be firmly seasoned with the things that you have accrued and earned in God, because salt was the salary back then. In so many ways, for the Roman soldiers and for, for others, it was valuable. And, and so the redeeming of the time of the Kairos moment, the buying back in the Agora with a keen eye. You know, there's so many things. You know, focus on the thing that's yours to focus on. Don't get distracted with all the other wackiness, and there's a lot of that. I mean, let the spirit of wisdom guide you to see in the midst of all of this, what is the key thing that's happening right here? The rest of this is subterfuge. The rest of this may be branches of the tree and fruits of it, but what's the root? Focus in on that and watch, walk circumspectly, walk in wisdom. Be aware, but don't be sidetracked. Be aware, but don't, don't have... Uh, you know, like any deception is going to have lots of different things that go on to try to keep you occupied so you don't see the real thing. You know, um, so often that's the case, um, that any deception is going to have a lot of other things that try to get your attention. We have to, we have to focus on the thing that wisdom and commune with God says, in this Kairos moment, this is what needs to be bought back. This is what has been ordained from this time. And we as intercessors, we have this responsibility. You know, we are the saints. We are the ecclesia of God. We are the sons. We are the intercessors that God has called. Before God does a thing, the Bible says in Amos, he speaks it to his servants, the prophets. And we, we have to be willing to glean that, prophesy into it, and hold on to it. Um, bring it back to God. Bring it into the function of what God has ordained. Now, there are various factors of that, too. Some of it may have to do with the moment. What is God really wanting to have happen here? And what's the enemy trying to stop? Some of it could be, how is this a stemme that has been just opened by the timetable of God? The gates of hell will not prevail against my ecclesia. What has God, according to his timetable, just opened that the enemy is trying to pour in, like Elamus or Simon the sorcerer, and gain control of? This belongs to God through the power of the cross. What is, you know, there are certain things that I think are spiritual factors that God has made alive for this hour from the foundation of the world. He created them to be functioning now that the enemy has just gauged on and moved in to try to utilize. And we, we have the best. Well, you know, we can, we can, uh, like Elijah did when he was still functioning and right. They, these uh, 850 prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth were all dancing and cutting each other and making statements, uh, trying to get the fire to come down on that altar. But then finally, when they had had their time, Elijah saw God bring the fire down. We're seeing lots of nonsense go on right now. We've got to be waiting on the Kairos moment of the Lord and know, look, this altar belongs to God. They can do whatever kind of malicious or um, perverted thing they want to do, but this belongs to God. It's up to us as that, what is Elijah? The one crying in the wilderness. He, he is the, the New Testament, John the Baptist, the friend of the bridegroom. That's our ministry as well. 
And we may feel like we're one voice out here in the wilderness. But as Elijah spoke, the fire fell. But in the timing of God, he kept his focus at that time frame on what God was wanting to do. And then he outran the chariot. There was the sound of abundance of rain, and the rain came. All those great things. And then when it looked like he had just hit three grand slams in the game, I guess, I don't know, this influence. Jezebel said some words. She spoke some things. That atmosphere of the recoil of the enemy came, and suddenly he started murmuring. Suddenly he started feeling, you know, I can't, you know, maybe I'm making too much of a, of, a, of, a, of a point of this. I'm not glorifying the enemy. I'm just saying this stuff is really happening. I mean, I, I have, but in the early days, I was reflecting this morning on the way in. You know, God's Spirit birthed something here. And it, it has, thanks be to him, it has touched the world and continues to do so. Um, and there, there was such an influx of the Spirit that I know these influences were around. They were affecting people on the, I would say on the fringe, but people who were called to this, and they, they gave place to this influence, and off they went. And I could feel it, I can experience it, but... God, I guess, was so intent on us actually staying faithful and that we didn't collapse, maybe shielded us from some of this. And everybody could have been shielded from it. But if you get out of the center, you're, you're vulnerable. And those were unique days. But now we have so many responsibilities in so many places. And, and I think the timetable of God that we have been being readied for is as released factors in this Kairos moment. And you can feel this. We, we talked about it a couple of years ago when we first, I remember the Wednesday night when we first weren't able to meet for service. And remember that? We were going to connect on Zoom. And we did. And I told about this. I mean, that Wednesday I was here like at 5 o'clock that night. Something swept into that room in the youth room. I was in there praying. even had some really anointed music on. I don't know why that didn't drive it away. And all of a sudden I felt it was almost, hear me now, it was almost like being possessed. I felt such an influence and I thought, what in the world am I doing here? I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. I've talked about this. I testified it. And I, I said, look, we've got to be careful because whatever influence has just been released, it's almost like a wormwood influence. And in fact, I think it, it, it is. And it's been kept in reserve to this time. The enemy is not stupid. He knows he doesn't have unlimited supply. So he's going to gauge what he does very carefully. I'm not giving him glory. I'm just saying, uh, you know, this is the tactical strategy that he uses. And, and then, of course, boy, you could feel the influence of that same type of spirit across our country. You remember that summer, that spring and that summer, the destruction of so many cities, the chaos, the strife, the murders, and it all being heralded by the prince of the power of the air on the, on the national media. Oh, this is great. Look at this. It kind of reminded me of when uh, we, we get, went to war with Iraq, and Baghdad Bob was, was standing there in Baghdad, and he, oh, no, the American forces aren't near. We're perfectly well. All of a sudden, you see this right behind him in the building. Don't pay no, pay no attention to that. We're fine. And it was almost like the... You know, the media during that whole summer leading up to the election was just drunk on idiocy. And counting, the Bible says, woe to the people who say good is bad and bad is good. And that's what the enemy is saying right now. He is speaking things that are being embraced. Uh, the, the, the things are, are crazy in the atmosphere. And so, and, and, of course, as we've studied about this, 
dimension of the enemy, the prince of the power of the air. It works in the children of disobedience, people that, that are called to be one thing, but they're, they're embroiled in the gall of bitterness, and they embrace these truths of unrighteousness, and they, they even talk about them, only they say, it's my truth, it's their truth, it's your truth, whatever your truth is, all truths, all truths are of God. Well, didn't we hear that? It was like a, a menagerie of false truth. This was all promulgated everywhere. But we have to be those that remember that we are to redeem the time. And we have to guard our reaction to it and what we say in regard to that. This is what Paul very clearly described twice in Ephesians and in Colossians. And we are those representatives of the people of God now that must do these things. Now, I know this sounds like a weird message. This isn't what you're going to hear at First Church. This is not touchy-feely. You're, you know, but, but this is where God has called his people to be. This is real-time accounting for what's happening in our world today. And we as saints, we as intercessors, we as prophets and apostles and teachers and evangelists and pastors, we need to recognize this is not only what Paul said to the Ephesians and the Colossians, this is what we see in Moses' life. This is what we see in Saul's life. This is what we see in Elijah's life. This is what we see in so many other instances. This same principle. Whose report will you believe? To whom uh, who believes is going to see the arm of the Lord revealed. Are you going to murmur in the wilderness and be destroyed by this wacko spirit that's around? Or are you going to make melody and sing oide pneumaticas? What are you going to do? Are you going to redeem the time or be overcome by the time? And, and so I'm not saying it's easy. But it's so often is the case. Follow the divine principle. Stay focused on what God has said. Do those things. Don't vary from them. And if you insist upon being the servant and the son that God has called you to be, these things will not only be alive in you, but you'll triumph. But, you know, that's the case. So many times in certain, um, in certain aspects of life, we'll embark on something. And we hear, this is what I've got to do. I'm going to do this and this and this, and then I'll become this. Or I'll do these three things, and then this will happen in me. And after a couple of weeks, you get tired of it. You forget about that second point that you're supposed to be doing. And you don't follow the plan, and it just goes, oh, well, I guess it didn't work. It didn't work for me. Well, yeah, it was working. It was you that forgot the points that you have to follow. I don't know how many times I have failed in that way in my life. But we cannot fail in these things because this is a principle of sonship that God has redeemed us to function in. And, you know, we're talking some heady characters here. The first king of Israel, Elijah, Moses. And I could give lots of other illustrations from Scripture of people that face this same thing. What about Hannah? who was, was there. She was in a point of need. I mean, that was a wicked place she went to in Shiloh. You slice it, dice it, make julienne fries of it. It was wicked. I mean, it was just bad. <laughs> it was. And, but yet, it was the place where God had called her to come. She could have murmured. She could have complained. Everything in her life was set up for that to be said in spades. She could have written 20 verses about how horrible things were as a barren woman who was being mocked at home, deprived of what she should have. But instead, she offered supplication, and she was speaking things that were positive. The principle is, is everywhere. Now, this isn't some name it, claim it, it isn't some of that same type of thing, because that, in, in ways, takes this principle, but it detaches it from partnership. It becomes, okay, you want to get what you want? Do these things. This is, we want to do what God wants, redeeming the time. The days are evil. I think we all could say, yes, 
the days are evil. You're driving home, you turn on the news, you're going to hear about evil things, things that we've never heard of in our lifetime before. They're being spoken. Craziness. Wars and rumors of wars. We got any of those around today? Yeah, we sure do. We need to be praying for those folks in Ukraine. There's a lot of good Christian people there. There are a lot of people there that are hungry for God. Um, and they, they, they have churches that are seeking God. They, I believe God wants the message of the saints to go there. I remember when uh, we were in Paris a few years ago, and I was tuned into this station on the, at the hotel, and they were broadcasting from Ukraine one, two, three church services in a row. I couldn't go to sleep, so I just stayed up and was watching it. And, and I, was, I was stunned, and I was praying in the Spirit for those people because there were thousands of them, and they, they sincerely wanted the Lord. And, and, you know, we need to pray for them. <laughs> we need to pray. I mean, that's a, that's a touch point of, of something that God wants to do uh, in these end times, I'm just rambling now. But uh, did I need to tell you that? I thought maybe I'd get one amen for the first time this message when I said that. But, you know, we need to redeem the time. This is what the Spirit specifically said to me this morning twice. And, and I believe that we need to walk in wisdom. We need to walk circumspectly. We need to be a people who are in contact with God, not shutting off that commune with him in spirit. We need to be generating prophetic song. We need to be making melody in our heart, even though all around us the tendency might provoke us to murmur. And we've got to guard that because there's power in the words. There's power in the words. There's power in intercession, and we've got to make sure that our intercession is speaking what God is wanting to redeem in this Kairos moment. How will you know what God's pinpointing? Well, the first thing is you understand that this principle is going on, and when you're praying in diversities of tongues, when you're praying in the Spirit, your mind is unfruitful. You're speaking directly to God concerning what he wants to do. Pray that way and know that God is addressing this situation. Now, as we've studied about friend and phroneo, we know that the Lord will cause us to be able to interpret, and we know that God will allow us to gain some measure of understanding uh, in interpretation of what he's doing, and we need to be proclaiming that. Now, you may not understand the whole picture. I don't know anybody who does. Each one of us has a part. But God will probably show you something that he's wanting to redeem. And you need to proclaim that. You may even want to sing that when nobody else is around. You may want to sing that. But there's power in that. Let your words be as grace, proclaiming forward what God's wanting to bring. Seasoned with salt, the weightiness of the, of the relationship that God has sown into you and what you represent in this world. You are the salt of the earth. Let that be affected in those words. Redeeming the time. Yes, this is of great, this is of great importance right now. Um, it doesn't say you're going to change the evil. See, that's what we want to do. We want to tell these folks, hey, you're missing it. Stop doing those wacky. They're, they're, you know what? <laughs> We're not going to be able to pray away what God says in his word is going to happen in the end time. Do you realize that? And that's a great source of frustration for me. I just want these dear folks to stop being led astray. And I know you probably do too. You grieve over things you see. But what we can do is recognize we're going to snatch this one from the burning. The Spirit is going to do this thing. And, and we need to redeem this Kairos moment. To whatever factor we're sent into the agora of the Spirit realm, God is going to hone in on something, and we're going to 
through our intercession, it's, it's going to be preserved for the kingdom. He's in charge of the Kronos, but we redeem the Kairos. And this is where God has us. So, praise God. Father, we commit ourselves to you. We ask that your spirit would guide us. We, we submit ourselves to the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that dimension of who you are. And we will stand against the competing factor in the Council of Seven, which is the prince of the power of the air. We will not buy into their propaganda. No matter how many times they say it, no matter how many ways they say it, no matter how many NBA stars and thespians say it, we're going to hold true to what your spirit of wisdom is saying. We're going to walk circumspectly. We're not going to give ourselves over to murmuring or surrender to what the enemy is wanting us to do, to quit and to stop. But instead, we're going to make melody in that steering wheel of our heart in accordance with your words of grace, in accordance with what you want to do. Help us in this. This is your principle, Father, and you have given a rhema directive to us today to concentrate on this. Help us, my Father, to serve you. And I speak blessing over all of these saints, both in this house and in the, the many, many places where our family of the saints is found. And I pray, Father, that we will be useful servants, useful sons in these days, that our light would shine before you. Guide us. Let us be used by your Spirit. And I finally ask, God, that whatever your people need, you would release that provision to them. I speak a breaking of any kind of financial barrier. I speak a breaking of any kind of physical barrier. Let the waters of healing be stirred right where you are at this very moment, and may you walk in health in Jesus' name. And Lord, we love you. Use us. Help us to redeem the time. And we ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's go out and redeem the time, folks. Thanks for being here. God bless you all. And um, we'll talk to you again soon.